sometimes it's hard to know exactly what to do. Uh, there's a variety of different things you could do. Uh, I think about today, uh, had someone offer me tickets to the Chiefs game tonight. That'd be fun, go to Kansas City, watch uh, the Chiefs hopefully beat the Denver Broncos. Uh, that'd be a fun evening. Somebody else was talking to me about going caroling tonight and going by and visiting different people that are shut-ins that we haven't seen and uh, singing Christmas carols to them. That sounded like fun. Yesterday afternoon, I got a, uh, or yes, yesterday afternoon, I got a message from Jonathan Runyon about a youth group party they're having down at their house, and he was describing all the different things they were going to do as part of that party, and I thought to myself, it'd be fun to be a teenager for the night, because that sounded fun. Uh, and, I, and I looked at it, and I, I thought, man, I'd, I'd like to do that. Uh, several weeks ago, I found out about a group of people that we were on our missions trip with in Alaska from Bethany, Missouri, and they have a dinner that they're hosting tonight for Ryan and Angie and some of the other staff member that are back for their yearly meetings at Avant. And so they're wanting to have a dinner for all those people that have fed them so many times up in Alaska, and they invited uh, the ones that went on our missions trip that were with them to be there. So those are my options. Which thing am I going to do? Well, because Jack Rush is a friend of mine and he won't let me off, uh, I'm going to Bethany to eat uh, with our friends from there. And... uh, it's, of all the options I have, it's the one that, uh, that, that's going to work out. You have options in your life. And uh, I've had people ask me at different times, so, Pastor, what should I do? And the truth of the matter is, I'm barely able to figure out my own life. I'm a little hesitant to give you much advice on what to do about your life. But I do believe the Bible does give us Clear information, truth that should guide us as we make our decisions in life as to what we are going to do. I want you to notice this verse that we're looking at today, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1. A lot of times I uh, look at a lengthier passage than that, but I I want you to look at just this one verse because... uh, Because this one verse contains so much. Therefore, since we, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you note in this one single verse, three times the author has included himself in the group of all of us together, we, us, we, us, us, together, have to make these choices that are right. In other words, the author does not exempt himself from a personal responsibility as to how he is going to respond. He also 
does not exempt himself from the opportunity to respond. So let's walk through this verse uh, just for a little bit and, and consider it uh, in the few moments that we have before we uh, visit the Lord's table. Uh, the first thing that stands out in this particular uh, passage is this statement about the cloud of witnesses. Therefore, uh, we also, since we are surrounded by... That word, therefore, appears a number of times in the Bible. And uh, oftentimes I've heard people say, whenever you see a therefore, you should ask yourself what it is there for. And uh, that's a nice little thing to say, and it kind of reminds us to look back. But the particular construction that is found here in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Hebrews is actually much, much stronger than the normal therefore that found in a number of places in the New Testament. In fact, this particular construction is only found three times in all of the New Testament. It is an extremely strong statement of examination as to what we have seen or what we have read in in response now to what we're going to do. In other words, this is much stronger than just uh, the word therefore. This is like, stop right now and look at what you've just read and be sure you understand it before you go any further. It's a strong, strong statement. In fact, uh, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I don't know how many of you enjoy doing this, going out and laying down on a nice, warm uh, fall day and looking at the clouds and trying to figure out uh, what they are, (laughs) but on a particular uh, cloudy day uh, or when a lot of different kinds of clouds are going by, it's somewhat fun to uh, entertain yourself with that process. And that's somewhat of the view that we have here. There is a, a variety of differences within the body of Christ in the historical relationships that a number of different people that have had that, that, that give us a whole lot of different forms. In other words, not every believer has done it the same way. And, and we're being told that in this verse. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, the variety. You know, you look back through chapter 11... And and chapter 11 just touches on a few of the people that are highlighted in the Old Testament. But even in the few that are touched on there, uh, there is such variety. In fact, we talked about it last week. We talked about the different flaws of the faith of these different people and that that we were were amazed by the different kinds of people that God could say, this one, this one, that one. And, And... each one of their stories could, uh, we could spend an entire uh, week on. A, a couple of things to note, though, is it says, cloud of witnesses. The author is not saying cloud of examples. <laughs> In other words, he's not saying these people show you how to do it or, or the right way to do it. These people, instead, what he's highlighting is These people are all witnesses to someone. Now, when you think about a witness, things uh, come to mind. And one of the things that comes to mind is that although the character of a witness is significant, 
It is not what is primary. There's been a couple of times uh, I've been uh, called into the courtroom to be a witness. I, I don't think I've ever been on trial yet, uh, but there have been a couple of times I've been called uh, in to be a witness, and, and I would consider myself to be a person of highest possible character. And every time I've been called to the witness stand, I've been interrupted by a lawyer or by the judge or by someone, and, and every time I've ever been called into court, I've been dismissed before I got to say everything I wanted to say. And probably some of you are thinking right now, that's not surprising. And the reason why is because my character is not what mattered primarily. It's what I had seen or what I knew that mattered. These people that are highlighted in chapter 11 are not being highlighted for their own selves. They're being highlighted for what they reveal to us about God. In other words, the primary message of the Bible is not anthrocentric. In other words, man-centered. What can we learn about people? But the primary subject of the Bible is theocentric. What does this teach us about God? And especially in Hebrews chapter 11, that is the author's intent. Not to tell us that Abraham or Moses or Jephthah are great examples of how you should live, but to say that David, Gideon, Sarah, Joseph, reveal to us the character of our God whom we can trust. Their character is significant, but primarily it is their witness about the faithfulness of God. I thought uh, Ryan did a tremendous job today explaining God's faithfulness to Echo Ranch Bible Camp. (laughs) And to each one of us as well. Also, their view is primary, but not complete. You do not have a complete view of everything that God is doing in the world. You have your view. And that's the only view you get, is your own. Uh, These uh, people that are highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, there's no doubt at all as you look into their lives that their views are incomplete. But that does not mean that their God was incomplete. Or that their God was insufficient. Or that the Lord didn't fully care for them through it. It's just that their view is incomplete. And so when Samson's got his hands on the two walls, pillars, and, he, and he's violently pushing them apart, and, and he's saying, Lord, avenge me for thy eyes. And you think, well, that's kind of a, a, a strange way to go out. His view is not complete. You're called 
to where you are to live here for the Lord. And that is all God will ever hold you accountable for. Is this slice of life that he gives you. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And, and so now, though, he, he refocuses to say, let us. You know, it'd be easy to spend the rest of our time critiquing what these people could have done differently in chapter 11 and how if the children of Israel would have gone through the Red Sea this way or if, uh, if uh, the men of Gideon's army would have responded this way or if Jephthah would have decided to... It, it's so easy to talk about them and be critical of them, but the challenge of the passage is to say to yourself, let us... Lay aside. Every weight and sin. And, and here, uh, <laughs> I, I, I looked for this road closed sign, and, and I, I, I found a road closed sign, and I saw this one here with the second sign next to it. It says, all local businesses open. <laughs> I, I, I like that sign because I'm sitting there thinking there's, there's always obstructions but there's always also opportunities. And, and in this particular passage, he, he points out two particular obstructions. One of it is, is the word wait. And th- this is the only time this word wait is, is used this way in, in all of the New Testament. The other couple of times the word uh, is used, it, it, it's used of the, the word loud boasting. <laughs> and it, twice over, it, it's used that way. So it's not a real common word. But, but, but it has the idea of, of things that get in the way. Uh, now, have you ever gone to do something and there was a, a loud person that got in the way of, of getting it done? Uh, they, they, they blocked... The ability to complete. That's the way this word is being used in the other place it's used. And so when it says wait here, it's, it's, it's not necessarily something that's wrong, but, it, but it's something that's, that's not needed. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about things that aren't needed as we go through the rest of the book of Hebrews because that kind of becomes a, a very important thing. A lot of times we think about all the things we need uh, in life but, but the book of Hebrews is going to emphasize all the things we don't need. Now, uh, I've, I've gone to pack to go up to camp in Alaska, and I, and, and I get a suitcase out, and I start throwing things in, and, and I go to zipper it shut. And, and, and to be honest with you, I've got more stuff than I could put in a suitcase. And so we have to take a few things out. You have to travel light. And through life, you need to learn to travel light. Because there's some stuff that we think we need that it isn't isn't on the manifest of God's list. And we we have to to say, we have to lay it aside. Uh, And sometimes the only way that happens is through uh, God's uh, working and God's conviction and God's moving that we begin to realize 
uh, this that we thought was so important is not really uh, necessary after all. Not necessarily wrong. It's just not needed. Then he says not only the weight, but he says also the sin that does so easily beset us. And, and, I, and I think when he says the word sin, I think it's so easy to think of our own sin, but I think sometimes we can, we can look at the sins of others and we can become encumbered by other people's failures in such a way that their sin becomes our sin because we can't get over it. We become controlled by what other people have done and we become, we become uh, manipulated by it instead of just being able to move on. And in, in a strange way, their sin becomes our sin because we can't deal with it. And we, and we find ourselves saying something like that. I would serve the Lord, but someone did this to me. I would, I would, I would do more for the Lord except... For what they said. Might not necessarily be your sin, but it is avoidable. So we need to, uh, by the way, I, one of the best outlines I've ever seen for this passage was the outline, look up to the clouds, look out for your sins, and look on to Jesus. But we're not going to get there. But anyhow, this is just a great outline. Uh, but anyhow, so uh, sin, it's not necessarily yours, but it is avoidable. And now, but now he turns our attention, uh, last of all, to uh, where we're going to finish today, and, and then we'll continue this next week. And it says, and the sin that does so easy ensnares, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, there's a kind of bicycle racing that, uh, that I have only seen on video. I've never actually seen one in real life. I have seen road races. I have seen uh, uh, mountain bike races. And I have seen triathlons and a very interesting form of bike racing. But there's this other form that's somewhat popular in Europe, and it's called cyclo racing. Now, what a great way to race your bike. You carry your bike. And, and the, the goal is to see how well you can carry a bike. You might think, that must be the dumbest races in the world. <laughs> Actually, what happens is there are places on the course that you need a bike, and there are places on the course you have to carry your bike. And so you run with the bike over your back as you go through mud and, 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 and uh, streams and, and situations where the bike... But then when you get to open areas, you climb onto the bike and you ride it. You have to determine when best to ride the bike, when best to carry the bike, how best to complete this race with my bike. Now... He says, run with patience, the endurance, the race that is set before you. And in fact, this word race is not translated race any other time it appears in the New Testament. Every other time this word appears, 
It's actually translated fight. I watched a movie the other night. Very interesting movie. A lady was giving a eulogy for her sister that had died. And so as she was giving this eulogy for her sister that had died, she said, some people say that life is a race. And so I guess my sister finished first. And then she paused and she said, but some people said that life is a fight. And I guess I won because I'm the last one standing. And there is a strange way in which uh, life is a race, and there's a strange way in which life is a fight. And there are challenges to the trail. Your challenges are not my challenges. My challenges are not yours. For instance, you have to learn how to get along with me. But I have the enormous challenge of figuring out how to get along with you. <laughs> it goes both ways, doesn't it? And by the way, that's not the same thing. <laughs> Getting along with me and you, not the same. All of us have our own challenges to this trail. But also, it is a journey. The reason they keep carrying the bike is because sometimes they could move faster in the bike and get done sooner. And so there's some things you got to carry because down the road it'll help you. Some things are in the way and they need to be discarded. It's a journey. And stuff that is important to you today maybe didn't matter five years ago. Maybe it won't matter in five years. But it's important today, isn't it? But also, it's your race. It is the race that is set before us. If I would have chosen how I was going to live life, I wouldn't have chosen this. I'm sorry. It's a path, and and sometimes that path is uh, extremely personal. Kind of a popular phrase anymore when someone is crowding you about something they want you to do and They're not doing what you want them to do. Uh, It's somewhat of a popular thing to say to someone like this, stay in your lane, you know, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Aren't you glad that Christ stayed in his lane? Father, if this cup could pass from me, Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. He set his face toward Jerusalem like a flint. And and then on several occasions it says, and the disciples 
after he had resurrected, remembered that he had said this. Aren't you glad he stayed in his lane? You will never be able to redeem other people like Christ did us. But your life can be a witness. Unlike anyone else's in this world, if you lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily cling to us, run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus. Father, we come before you today and we just recognize that we each one all have personal challenges that that can that can be just completely overwhelming. And we need your help. And for these things, Christ died. And and for this, he was raised up on the cross. He is our Redeemer, Advocate high priest, and friend. And so as we come to this time of reflection upon the death of Christ and the full power of it into our own lives, we pause to say thank you for not straying from the course. Thank you for completing the race so that we could find from it strength for all that comes into our world. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus.